0: This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Pfizer, working to deliver breakthroughs that change patients' lives. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Dr. Otis Brawley, a globally renowned cancer specialist, discusses the coronavirus
1: pandemic and its effect on cancer care. Let's listen. Good afternoon. If you're just joining us at Chasing Cancer 2020, I'm Francis Steve Sellers, a senior writer at The Washington Post. Joining me now is Dr. Otis Brawley. He is a former president of the American Cancer Society, and he's now a Bloomberg Distinguished Professor of Medicine at Johns Hopkins. He's here to talk to us in particular about disparities in healthcare. And Dr. Brawley, welcome. One of the things that's become very clear during this pandemic and at this watershed moment in terms of racial justice, is how African-Americans and other minorities have fared so badly in the COVID epidemic. Can you tell us what gaps this has revealed in the American healthcare system?
0: Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, the COVID uh, uh, pandemic really exposed uh, a gaping wound in American society. It's really based on socioeconomics. Uh, the uh, people who could not shelter in place. The people who still had to go to work were people who are of lower socioeconomic status. Many of those jobs are held by Blacks and Hispanics in many of our big cities. And those people were still exposed to the coronavirus. They couldn't shelter in place. Those folks also had Uh, Many comorbid diseases that we see folks of lower socioeconomic status have in higher prevalence, diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease. And this created the perfect storm uh, for people who would get the disease, their living environment, living in dense environments allowed for increased spread. And once they had the disease, they had other illnesses that made outcome uh, more likely to be not good.
1: Do these same disparities exist in terms of prevention, prevention and treatment of cancer as well?
0: These disparities are the problems that we've been dealing with in the area of health disparities and health equity. Uh, and they've really been defined for more than 50 years. Uh, indeed, one of the things we were really surprised about was some people seem to be shocked that these disparities were happening in coronavirus. They have been happening in cancer. They've been happening in cardiovascular disease. They've been happening in a number of different diseases over the years.
1: So that brings me to a question from Holly Anderson in Minnesota, and she asks, let me read the question: Are systemic racism and health inequality linked? How do we ensure health equality for all people, regardless of race?
0: Yes, they are. They are definitely linked. Uh, part of it is based on education. It's, it's, it's a number of different things. Uh, and sometimes we try to have Band-Aid solutions where we just try to fix one thing. It's linked to uh, lack of education, lack of understanding health, Promotion and health prevention activities. It's not having a job. It's not having access to care. Once one has insurance and access to care, it's sometimes discrimination in getting the care itself. There are a number of studies out there to show that poor people have lack of access to care for various reasons. There are a number of studies that show that the greatest problem is socioeconomic, it's income and education. There are also a number of studies to show that the largest disparate population for cancer is actually white Americans instead of blacks or Hispanics. So
1: you mentioned hypertension, diabetes, obesity, these issues that are uh, comorbidities for covid but also complicate cancer treatment how do you see the healthcare system adjusting to trying to adjust uh, uh, deal with these very fundamental issues um often that exist in the population before people ever see a doctor
0: Yeah, this is actually a long-term problem, and many of us believe that we need to focus more on preventing these diseases versus early detection and diagnosis once they happen. I'm not against early detection and diagnosis of the diseases, but there's not been enough emphasis in the United States on preventing them from starting to begin with. Uh, If you look at Europe, Western Europe, especially in Canada, they do a much better job in preventing these problems from ever happening. Uh, And then, of course, you don't have to pay uh, the incredible expense for treating them.
1: So that brings me to an audience question from Kurt Nemes in Washington, D.C., who asks, how does race and ethnicity affect incidences and survival rates of cancer?
0: Well, they they correlate. Uh, People who are Black in the United States have a lower uh, survival rate and a higher death rate is actually in epidemiology the more important uh, factor to measure. The death rate for Blacks is higher in cancer, it's higher in cardiovascular disease, higher in diabetes. Certain Hispanic populations, certain Hispanic populations also have higher death rates in those diseases as well. And then uh, the thing that we never talk about is Poor whites, especially in Appalachian, the southern United States, they also have higher rates of uh, death from these diseases.
1: Right. So some people talk about um, very high tech advances, the very expensive high tech advances we're making in cancer being more available to people who are well insured and are well off. What can we do to make sure that cancer treatment is not reserved for the wealthy?
0: You know, I worry a great deal. I'm not at all opposed to uh, improving cancer treatments, uh, but I am very concerned about the fact that a number of people don't get those treatments. The best example I've ever known is a colleague of mine a few years ago did a study and showed that 7% of black women in Georgia who are diagnosed with an early stage curable breast cancer get no treatment once diagnosed with that. Now, that 7% get no surgery in the first two years of diagnosis, I should say. That is research that we've got in the 1890s that they're not getting in 2005. And so, yeah, I love the idea of new drugs and new treatments, but we have to make sure that everybody can enjoy those new drugs and new treatments. I just gave you an example of an old treatment that works that people aren't enjoying today.
1: Right. And right now, we are hearing so much about people who are avoiding hospitals, avoiding uh, doctor's offices because of fear of the environment of, of, and COVID in that environment. Do you worry about late diagnosis of cancers? Do you even worry about a death toll to come because people have avoided early screening and early treatment?
0: You know, we've actually been able to model that and in March, April and May, we really shut down clinical treatment of cancer and we shut down screening for cancer. We are now concerned that in 2022-2023, we're going to have a 2 to 3% increase in death rate from breast and colon cancer because of that shutdown. Interestingly, it's not as much the delay in screening, it's the delay in diagnosis and treatment that's going to end up costing us some additional lives. Perhaps 10 to 15,000 additional uh, cancer deaths in 2022 and 2023, we have about 600,000 a year in the United States, by the way. But it's the delay in treating that is causing the problem. You know, when we say women should be screened for breast cancer, we say every one to two years. If they put it off by three or four months, that's not going to make a big difference in, in our statistics. Now, if we continue delaying screening well into the summer and beyond, then we worry about screening. But right now, the problem is Uh, There's people who have a symptom and are afraid to go to the doctor and get diagnosed. There are people who've been diagnosed who are afraid to get treated. So
1: age is a significant risk factor for for cancer. Do we see disparities in terms of socioeconomic or racial disparities also in the older age group when it comes to cancer treatment? and all,
0: All older people, when we say older, we're talking about people in their 70s and 80s. All older people have a challenge with cancer. Poor people have a greater challenge with cancer when they are old.
1: What have we learned about the healthcare system and how it functions from COVID and how will that help us treat cancer better in the future or how may
0: it help us? Well, we've learned a lot about our healthcare system and our public health system and what some of the warts are. Keep in mind, uh, if we had, the healthcare system of Germany and had reacted to the COVID infection the way the Germans did, we would have right now 36,000 deaths instead of 120,000 deaths. If we had the healthcare system of the South Koreans and had reacted the way the South Koreans did, we would have somewhere around 1,500 to 1,800 deaths instead of 120,000 deaths. So this is very indicting of our healthcare care system and our public health system. And in New York, for example, some people died purely because the hospitals were overwhelmed and overrun and in extremis.
1: So when you're, t- you're comparing those healthcare care systems, you're talking about something closer to a socialized model, of course, Britain, as well, is suffering. It has a socialised model and is suffering during this epidemic. But what specific changes do you think could happen here? We have a very fractured public healthcare system. Um, a lot of the, the the risk factors you talked about earlier on for cancer um, get lost at that level. Where do you want to see investments in the future in this healthcare system
0: to well, improve? When I talk about a healthcare system, I'm talking about an entire system from prevention through early detection and screening all the way into treatment. Uh, in our system, we so focus on treatment and don't focus on actually preventing disease and early detection. In Germany and South Korea, what they had was very aggressive finding the people who had coronavirus, very aggressive uh, um, sectoring them off from the rest of the population so that they did not spread it they had very aggressive public health early on that prevented problems now we don't have that public health problem and then we don't have good treatment once people get uh, disease as well
1: so what are the most exciting developments you've seen recently in cancer and a second part of this question what are you most excited about in the next five to ten years that you see coming in cancer treatment
0: Uh, I see a number of things that make me incredibly excited. You know, over the last... 40 years, we've developed a great deal of molecular biology that allow us to understand exactly what cancer is and what's going on with cancer. That's incredibly exciting. That molecular biology, by the way, allowed us to figure out that we had a coronavirus as a problem and allowed us to trace the coronavirus. Some of that laboratory technology for cancer is helping us understand the coronavirus as well. Uh, as well. Uh, in terms of treatment, some of the immuno therapies that we have are really a game changer and are helping to save lives and i'm not i'm someone who's in the past criticized people for being too excited about small incremental changes but some of the immunotherapies are actually good in terms of treatment Uh, i'm incredibly excited about what i perceive to be an increasing interest in prevention of cancer. I really do believe that our cancer prevention efforts in the United States need to be increased dramatically and will in the long-term help us. I'm asking people to plant a tree that they will never be able to enjoy the shade from. But if we start practicing prevention today, in 2035, 2040, we will have less cancer. We have evidence to show that a third to 50% of the cancers in the United States today could have been prevented if we had practiced good cancer prevention in the 1980s.
1: Well, I guess you don't get to be an oncologist and to go into this field unless you have some sense of hope. And uh, and it seems as if your hope is based in greater prevention moving ahead.
0: I am much, I, I, my hope is based in prevention and based in the fact that I think people are now starting to appreciate it. But I also have hope for treatment, the immunotherapy work, some yes. of the uh, Uh, new technologies, even some of our chemotherapies. As we learn more about the molecular biology of cancer, we're actually designing drugs that are able to interfere with the molecular processes of cancer. So I'm excited about that too. But I think the big bang for the buck in the long term is going to be with prevention.
1: Dr. Brawley, thank you so much for joining us today. It was fascinating, and I'm glad we could end on a a positive note there with some um, ambition and optimism about what could lie ahead for us. Thanks for listening.
0: To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.